Ryan Adele. And today, the man responsible for my direct response, I guess, history, uh, I'll call him a mentor, a friend, someone that I have an incredible amount of respect for, Vinny Fisher. Vinny, thanks for being on the show, my man. Ryan, thanks for having me, bud. Yeah, and it, it's it's been fascinating. We've spent the past 45 minutes now that I'm looking down at the clock catching up prior to this because I'm realizing what a poor job I've done of just staying in touch, which inevitably is kind of one of the banes of my existence in our entire relationship, right? Like, let's be honest, you, you handed over the keys to the castle to, to a hosting company, and I did everything I could to push you away back then. You know, Luke Skywalker wanted to prove, tell, tell Obi-Wan that, you know, he could do it. And, 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 and I don't know that that's necessarily two Jedis talking, but I think the analogy doesn't break down. You want to go do it. Right. And when you're around another growth minded person, you know, I, I, I know what I am. I show you an example of like you see a lot of, of what you want to do. So you want to break out parent child relationship. And, and I think as you mature, we, we can look and say with reflection, life gets busy. Like, holy crap. I grew up as a kid like you who had some brokenness, didn't have a lot of mentoring. So because of a chip on the shoulder, you want to just. You almost forget. You just go do it yourself. And you, your natural habit isn't to look around and have guidance from the titans before you. And it, it's supposed to be that. It's the habit that got us into the initial part of our relationship. So unless some big change happens, it's what's going to be the continued habit. Yeah, that's a profound way to say that. And and granted, I'm, I'm not looking at you just as you self-proclaim, but I would certainly proclaim it for you. You're like the wise old sage without the old part, right? You're not even you're not even the 50-year-old age bracket yet, but here you are, you know, that when you hired me, we said, you know, you're 37, 38, so not dissimilar from really the age bracket I'm in. And just the things you were doing back then versus, right, what I find myself doing now, like I, I'm, I'm scratching my head sometimes. I, I admittedly, right, I'm, I was a 25, 26-year-old kid, and not that I'm still not a kid at heart, but I remember the the Vitamix blender, and you were you were making juices back then. I'm like, what are you doing with juicing? And it's like it's not that, that's all nonsense. But I mean, what do I do every morning? <laughs> I, I make a juice smoothie. So I, I just love seeing my life start to mirror yours in my own capacity. Right, take some of the things and just say that I'm appreciative. Right, like we we certainly went through our own. I'll say on my side, right when it, when things. We parted ways from the hosting company, and I had to lick my wounds and look at the reality of what I did and didn't do. More, a hell of a lot more of didn't do than did do towards the end. Right, it was this uh, unique time in life in which there was embarrassment. Right, where I couldn't reach out and be like, "Man, I, I just freaking dropped the ball here, buddy." Like, how, how can we, how can we grow? And we spent probably two years, if not even more, without really having to think a conversation. And not, I, I, I certainly was. I had no animosity towards you. I was just embarrassed about my lack of results. Yeah, I mean, we all had our parts in, the, in it, right? I, I I could have certainly been a far better uncle. I could have certainly been a much better mentor. Uh, we all had our parts in it. And so um, I'm with you, but it, it's the, the idea of that, that those phases of growth. One of the things I think I have to fight through all the time is this idea of waste or looking backwards because shame Something I'm practicing in our lives now is there's like three things. There's like my, what things that I can handle with someone, it's someone else's business. And in my life, what's God's business. And I find myself when I get in trouble, it's when I'm focused probably more on someone else's business. That's where shame, doubt, like waste sets in. Sometimes I focus on my own business. The only thing that is there is like, 
what's the personal accountability to try to install something so I don't continue to repeat the behavior that got me here because most people don't set out to wreck their life. (laughs) And so uh, I'm thankful that we have continued to grow through that. And I'm starting to learn. I've been learning the idea that I need mentors too. Yeah. And I'll say, right. I want to, we'll go down memory lane as it it serves us during this conversation, but you on the backside of our hosting time together, right? You and our, I guess our other partner, Mark, right? Had these two ideas that I was sitting there scratching my head. Like these things are just the dumbest thing in the world. There's no instant cash to them. Like you guys are so brilliant. You can market anything. Why are you going in these directions? And here you sit four and a half years later, five years later, whatever we're, we're sitting at with what I look at as the pinnacle of success inside the done for you accounting services, right? I mean, your, your company fully accountable is like the go-to company for the services that you offer, which is the hardest path to go down to start with, right? Like nobody goes down that path to start with. All of our digital friends have been teasing me for a while. I was the what, largest, I was winning awards for being the guy who's known to grow up the largest affiliate groups in anything we did. And you're right. I've been take. I still take those bullets when people want to have some keynote speakers. Like, oh, Vinny Fisher is he still alive? Like in the digital world, like you know, I in I I changed entire. I didn't change it in industry direction. I changed the type of business I was building. Yeah, and it's um right. So talk to me about the business, right? Because you you started out down a path, you know, on on the backside of things, where right you you came up with this idea right, from your from your background of saying, look, what do most, to me, digital marketers, what do most product-based individuals drop the ball on, right? If you're a growth-minded individual, if you're a a salesman like I am, you're just running and gunning and there's a a trail of chaos behind you, right? And you came in saying, hey, I'm really good at cleaning up the chaos and creating systems around, you know, the dollars and cents of the business and how to manage cash flow and do the things that are appropriate for actual scale and growth. And that was that the foundation for the, the idea, or where am I? Where am I running here? That I completely resonate with, but I want to be make sure that the foundation was really much more basic than that. I am a growth-minded entrepreneur, and I was I had a very after I exited out of the hosting world, my next move was to move into health supplements. And I, you even knew back then I kind of wanted to do that inside the hosting. It was like my thing and my life and family. We live a very healthy lifestyle. So I moved into the health supplement space. We were doing great. I mean, we had, gosh, we, 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 were, we had a one product that was a flagship product, but we were doing multiple uh, eight figures. We were doing about three, four million a month in gross revenue. And I had absolutely no connection to the bottom line or margin. I was, I didn't know what I was paying for a customer. I was repeating the behavior of brain host all over again. I was like that, made this idea of competing the same habit. I was mm-hmm. gross revenue. And it was one day I'm like, I woke up and it was this simple. I'm like, wait a minute. It's not how much we bring in. It's what we keep. And I'm like, I literally woke up with that kind of thing. I'm like, this has got to stop. And I walked over to a customer service person. You probably remember Nick. And I'm like, Nick. Um, so, you're not really good at that. You're not that good at that. You know anything about Excel? He's like, no. I'm like, cool. By Friday, I want you to take a course. Here's what I want to know. He's like, why? I go, I'll tell you on Friday if you learn how to actually make a cell and a formula. And from there, I just started working on what does it really cost to acquire an affiliate? What's the really cost? And then I literally wrote about my journey in false profits. 
this is me, how we started the company for Fully Accountable. And it was from there that I learned some big things. I, and by the way, I, you know, I, I want to give a gift out to your community. And so, um, you know, if we want to do like um, fullyaccountable.com forward slash, what do you want to do? Freedom? Yeah, and that's fine. Great. And on there, we'll do forward slash freedom. We'll give out a link where if someone can sign up, we'll mail them our books and a couple good resources that'll help uh, people in what I'm about to say. And so we'd love to do that. We'd love what you got going. So we'd be happy to create that and, 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 and support the community. But one of the, here's the things that I learned. Right away, we doubled the profit margin of the company. Almost immediately overnight. So we ended up selling it, made a bunch of money, good for us. And I was like, holy crap. Well, during that process, a few of our close friends, Ed, some other guys you know, were like, hey, dude, you're making way more money than you've made. What's going on? What are you doing? You see a lot. And I'm like, I fixed a back part of our business. And they're like, what? I'm like, I fixed the part where we keep it. We just don't make it. They're like, I want that. So we slowly had a few companies. And in February of 15, we launched to the world. And here's the big principle I discovered. Big companies have this department, this accounting and finance department in their company where they're able to discover how to not have a leaky bucket and this amount of waste that flows down to the entrepreneur in tax loss and all the things that go on. Well, I was able to discover that, that layer of a department is critical for a small company. And so we figured out a way through the process that there are really four jobs there. There's the CFO, the financial analyst, the controller and the bookkeeper. Well, those are four real jobs. So we found a way to package all four of them into a package for getting it less than the cost of the bookkeeper in your office. And so from that, we figured out that that office piece, whether you get it from us or not, is critical to business construction. The problem is most good small businesses can't afford all four of those pieces. So they just never do it. So they treat it like this very historical thing. Well, hundreds of companies later, we're doing that in this digital community and e-commerce where we're helping people win at back office. And it's weird. It took an outsider. I'm not an accountant. I don't know any of those things. When you said you're good at back office process and system, thank God I've got people that are. That is not me at all. But I, I am literally always the vision of a client of ours, someone who can make money, who pays a lot in tax, who's got a leaky bucket, who's got responsibilities and campaigns running and all these moving arms. Well, having just a guy who prepares your tax return isn't enough if you're going to have an enterprise. And this is a missing void in our marketplace. And I'm thankful to kind of have started that because as since we have, people are realizing that and we're watching other people now try to copy what we're doing. And I'm, that is a wonderful compliment in marketing when you see people jumping in the marketplace and yeah, we're the market leader in it now. And that's awesome. And, you know, four and a half years later, we look like an overnight success, but uh, it, it, it was a shift from me having this, make a lot of money every month, but not have any, I, I woke up one day, Ryan, I'll be honest with you. I looked at our businesses and I said, you know, if I were to die tomorrow, it'd step right over my dead body and the next people would start doing it. And when I add that to a more of a business component where if I shut the business off, the next guy up would just start doing it. Even our health supplement was more mass market oriented. The next guy would fill in and buy that traffic. Well, if I were to shut fully off now, we'd hurt people. Mm -hmm. Making a big difference. And I gotta be honest with you. 
when, when if money is just a trophy, really helping people is a trophy too. It's a heck of a lot of fun. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's not fun making money because it's fun making money. Okay, but when you can add that to actually having massive value impact for people, and you have both of those together, even the sex at home is better. <laughs> Which, which is something, right, that I'll, I'll certainly say you know a thing about with a, with a big family, right, which is another interesting part is we, you know, spoke about in the pre, I'll say pre-show interview, this false notion of what balance really means, right, because you have what, three, four kids at home, a wife for 25 years, right, like, your oldest, is she, are the, it's college is around the corner now, right? now, right, so I have a first year in college all the way down to a soon-to-be eighth grade. Man, that's so crazy that your oldest is now in college. I, I feel like they're getting older, Vince, and, and we can't be. Right. So, something, something's going on here. I, yeah, actually, it, it, raising teenagers is basically raising adults who are just massively more immature than us. And so it's all of the phases are joyful and hard. There's something about having four other adults in your home. Buddy, I am my side hustle is this big enterprise with 75 people on our team. My full-time gig is being the leader of all these people in my home. It is a busy gig right now, but I, uh, and I'll tell you, the more I invest in that, the better our business is. Yeah, and I think that's one of those things that we're seeing more and more, right? Where, to me, it's one of the things, right, that you, you shared with me that I wasn't able to see back then, right? The, right, you have the Christianity, the God component of your life, right? And I'm still, going through my own itemization of what the being of God means to me. I have no problem saying that, but at least I know that there is something greater than myself. Finally in the universe, I'm no longer the center of it all, which I think is where a lot of it starts. You, you were my, uh, you were my favorite atheist in, in this whole thing really when we first met. So yeah, I mean, yeah. as a hard carrying educated atheist, but you were more like a, I don't know, like atheist. And so, yeah, dude, faith is important to me. Um, there's certain tags that, I don't resonate as well with, with other people, but you know, my, my grounding and centering in knowing uh, that Jesus is, is God and he's my King is so important to me that it leads everything else I do. And because of that, I think my faith-based life shows up in our cultural values. It shows up in our team culture. It shows up in my business relationships. I can blow things with partners and they're still dear friends. And I, you and I had a massive flat tire and here I am as one of your respected guests. And, um, and I appreciate that. And so I think all that centers on the fact that something's got to be bigger than my overconfident self. Yes. Yeah, so and I love that. And also the fact of how much emphasis you put in family. Cause I even remember that back from when you and I were close all the time, right? When we were, when I was working for you, working with you, how we end up saying that where, right. The family was such a big component. I remember scratching my head because it was, Right, we would go and have these ridiculous opportunities for for parties and and things, right? And there were there were components to that time in life in which we were enjoying the fruits of our labor or the massive success that you had created. I'll give it some of both. And right, the, there were there were times in which you said, "Look, I'm I'm not doing this stuff because family." And I remember, like, admittedly, back then I was so damn confused i'm like what do you mean we can go have this ridiculous experience with these people that are paying you know helping helping us all make money and we're helping them make money but the family component had such a strong hold and it's only it seemed like from the outside it's only grown since then oh absolutely i mean and i didn't have a good example of it you know my mom and dad are dead now but 
they have very broken. They have very broken family kind of centric to us. And so, you know, I maybe first on version of that was I wanted something massively different than what I had. And so thank God for Debbie and, and her wanting that too. And we just fought our way through it. And the more we keep um, putting, really for me, putting Christ center in my life, it allowed me to look to Debbie as a, a friend and grow our friendship and our partnership. And then because of that, I see the gift in, in, in being having the right to um, kind of mentor and raise a child. And I've just done that four times over. And so uh, I think legacy is far beyond money. And, and so I'm so thankful to um, continue to be reminded of that. I'm very grateful for it because I, uh, I, I as a growth-minded entrepreneur, I can be very quickly seduced back into financial things. And so I'm so thankful that tugging at my heart is also a legacy. Yeah, and the, and the fact of, I'd love for you to share your thoughts on what balance means and the fact of, right, there's this, you know, false notion that exists, right, where you should have some sort of, you know, like you said, show me what's the definition of balance as it pertains to an, you know, A-type personality that's a business owner that also has kids and a wife, like where, where is the balance? And you said some pretty profound things before we hopped on the microphone that I would love if you to share your, your mindset with everybody listening because it, 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 it resonates. Yeah. So, you know, I, whether or not you believe in Jesus as a God, he was a, a recognized prophet who said some pretty sage things. And so when you look at some of his teachings, one of the things he taught about was this idea of priority and perspective. He never really put balance in the equation uh, because the, I, the problem and the friction with balance for me personally, is that means that if I don't have as many hours in family as I do in business, that I'm out of whack. And you know, there's really not a very good indicator within the marketplace of our health, business, relationship, um, whether that's business, financial, or personal, any of those relationships. Balance isn't the equivalent there. Actually, what is, is this idea of what's the priority? What's the priority of the moment? What's the perspective that leads to the purpose of what you're doing something? And so for me, I've just removed this idea of balancing other than when, if I'm talking about a yoga pose, like that's about the only time I think it belongs in the discussion. Otherwise, like when I run through a, I have a list of certain things, at least I've like built on my heart, they're non-negotiables. And if I can continue to fight this chasing that looks attractive in the moment, I use things like perspective and priority, not balance. So sometimes I have to jump a plane and miss a kid's birthday. Because I'm putting the perspective and priority of what's in front of us. If I let balance rule, then I would say, oh, i got to be there for the birthday. Or I have a loving conversation with Elizabeth and say, sweetie, I'm missing your birthday. We're going to do this. But here's why, because we have this priority in front of us. Let's make that decision. And when I really started to do that, it, it actually freed me up to be not so in guilt, even when it comes to missing something in my family. But the irony is when I use priority and perspective as my gauge, it freed up me being able to say no to a call from a prospect or client because you and I are ultimate consummate salesmen. We always want to take that next call. Well, I realized when I was a little bit more protective of that, not from a balanced perspective, but from a priority perspective, it really allowed me to evaluate the usage of my time. Yeah. And, and, and Vinny, I would love to know, right. Every, 
incredibly successful person. I've been granted the, the incredible luxury to get to spend time with both in person and on the microphone here has what they ever refers to the list of non-negotiables. Yeah. Right? We have these things that right, are just like they say, right? They're the non-negotiables. So what are your non-negotiables that you are using? Right, it's kind of that litmus test for guiding your days. Uh, so I keep adding to them because in business, there are certain things that you learn. You gotta, you gotta, here's the thing that's a mantra in my life right now. I just want to make sure everyone knows. What got you to where you are right now is very unlikely to get you to the next level of your growth, whether it's internal, personal, or in your business. I just met with our executive team and I was like, okay, if we want to take this and double in growth, then what got us here? There are habits that built us in. That early stage growth of a six-figure business to get to seven figures requires certain things you would never do to take it from seven to eight or eight to nine. Along the way, you got to break those habits. So for me, one of my non-negotiables is to keep actually serving these false idols behind me. I have to kind of get rid of those. One of those would be I have to acknowledge that most opportunities are actually good ones that get me chasing ideas. So I have to say, I can only run as a job, one business at a time. A non-negotiable now for me is I can't sign up to create another company. I can invest in one. I can be a, a, a chairman of the board or a partner or come up with the idea, but I can't be an operator of more than one business. Non-negotiable, not even worth discussing. Another one for me is like, I, I, I am not going to break my marriage. What I mean by that is I, even if I screw things up, I'm going to put my marriage first. Um, another non-negotiable, I've got a list of them, right? Um, you know, I, I, I continually can think, I, my, if you look on our website, our core values are caring, committed, and competent. And if you look underneath the subcategories of those, you're going to learn about my heartbeat. Because I think a small business, you are the heartbeat of it. And those values in there are me. And so things like, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth regardless of the result is because I was raised in an environment where you were taught to lie and pose. And so now I, a non-negotiable to me is to check up on that conversation that needs to be had. Now, caring, compassion, mercy, grace, all have to come into those conversations. But lying at the expense of reputation is not one of them. It's a non-negotiable. Um, committed. I say I'm going to do something to you. I'm either pick up the phone and telling you I didn't finish it or I'm biting off my arm getting it done. It's, and by the way, the massive reputation we have in this space is because our people think like that. And so that's a list of non-negotiables. I've had some new ones over the last couple of years. I protect my morning. From 7 to 11 is my time. You can't get on the calendar. That's why I scheduled this so late. I actually ate 15 minutes into my time, but I also knew that that was the only way it was going to work for both of us. And so, but I wasn't going to do it an hour earlier, an hour and a half earlier, because I guard that part of the morning for personal reflection, prayer, working out, reading, working on our business. Um, I also don't take calls um, after a certain time of night unless it's an emergency. And an emergency is not having a business discussion. An emergency is I'm about to blow something with my wife. Can you talk? Pick call me right now. I'll drop everything. So um, those are the those are kind of the work off the list things. There are some things that are not non-negotiables in my life. I'd like to be non-negotiables. I would like to have a habit of physical exercise. It's not been one in my life. Ironically, though, 
a habit of mental exercise is a daily equivalent. Like I read, I, I, for me, meditation looks like prayer. I, every day I write in this wonderful book. I go through these, like people might go through underwear, um, every day. These are the things that I think, oh, and this, my calendar manages my life. It's not the other way around. I don't manage my calendar. It manages what I do. And so as long as I guard those things, you know, I have at least four hours a day that are personal. I must have that. And I've noticed that when I fight for that, and people are like, well, then how do you get work done? Well, you tell me. I'm telling my oldest son now, I'm making him work, maintain a 3-7 in school, have this thing on the side. He's like, I'll have no time. I'll go, exactly. One thing I've learned is the more I compress your time, the more you'll be able to get stuff done. Oh, absolutely. People who have too much time turn into sluggards. Yes. Yes, they do. And you, you said some profound things, right? When we look at integrity and lying and guarding the relationship, right? Those were all painful lessons that I had to learn during our time together, right? And, and onto the backside of that, right? There's, certainly, if someone's listened a long time, they realize like, Vinny knew me in the time in which I was struggling two, three, four relationships. Vinny knew me at the time where I it wasn't even speaking out of both sides of my mouth. It was speaking out of both sides of my mouth, my rear end, and any other orifice that I could possibly get something to come out of. It was coming out of. And that right there was just no protection of anything that that really mattered. Right. And it was uh took opposer to no opposer, right? So I yeah. in any scenario I would be whatever someone needed me to be. Mm-hmm. That is a rudderless ship without any type of direction. And so I love that you're seeking inward, this idea of faith in something bigger, because now you realize, holy cow, reputation and integrity comes above all this other stuff. And you're, that's, a, that's a battle within. I'll tell you, most people are scared out of their mind to go in because of all these agreements they've made that are stored up in their heart. So I'm excited to see this next journey in your life, buddy, because you're going to see massive growth you never expected. Yeah, and I appreciate that, right? It's 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 interesting, like you said, from one one BSer to another or reform BSer. I would say, you know, both salesmen, you have a, a background in law, so you have like a, a PhD in how to strategically say the right thing at the right time. I won't even say, right? My kids say, Dad, you say, my, my, my business partner says, you're the perfect wordsmith. My kids say, you say the right thing at the right time. I go, that means Dad knows how to BS a BSer. So I, all that aside, when I learned that posing is this idea of walking into a room and, and, and basically forming in a very quick second, good, hard-charging, growth-minded salespeople know how to be exactly what the room needs them to be. If I need to be a good old country hillbilly hanging out with mechanics, I can hang out with them in five minutes. I need to be a Harvard-educated room full of guys and I'll, I'll be that guy. Well... Once you start putting an honest reflection to that and you put some things that are non-negotiables, I'm very thankful to, for the talents I have that are associated with that. And I just got to guard against that poser because he's around all the time and he's there at a moment's notice. Always there. And that, right, that leads me to uh, an infamous story that I've shared once or twice that I feel like uh, it would, I would be remiss not to pull some of this out from your perspective. Right. And, and that's, Right, I had joined at that point, not at that point, right? Vinny is the founder of, of the, the hosting company that I've shared so many times. And I got brought on in, I'll say, August, September, sometime in that time period. And the very first event of the year is something called Affiliate Summit, right? First event for me 
in, in that industry. And Vinny and I had just taken a, a trip down to Tampa, Florida for a, a large, yeah, I forgot about yeah a, a large affiliate where we show up at the house and granted, I, I come from a, a pretty, what's that? Not to him anymore? Not very much. Yeah. Not very much. Uh, and so, right. I, I had never traveled with Vinny. I had not been in this space. It was right. I came from the automotive background where things are pretty black and white, right? And all of a sudden I'm in the space and money's being created out of what feels like thin air. And I'm meeting these people that are living a ridiculous lifestyle, not so much Vinny, right? Midwest guy, but like some of the people we're traveling to meet in, in Tampa, Florida, it's like all bets are off. And so we end up in New York City at Affiliate Summit, first event that I'd ever been to. And Vinny so graciously flies right at that point, we're, we're traveling as a tribe in a pack. So I think there were, if there were four of us, there had to have been eight or 10 of us that make this trek from. <laughs> you're going to be a rock star. You're going to have a posse. No, absolutely. We talk about, we talk about the posing and the showing up and, and what we were doing. Right. And so. I was the affiliate manager. I had to know all the affiliates. And granted, uh, Vinny and uh, you know our other partner, Mark, they had been in this space for a long time and other, other aspects. They knew a lot of them. They introduced me to a lot of them. And so I'm reaching out, figuring out where the party's at. And we show up at this place. Gosh, what was it? Uh, Juliet, the Supper Club. Yeah. Right? And it's, it's Vinny and myself and our, our tribe. And we're there, let's say midnight, 12, 1230. And we walk in and there's nobody there. Right? Like, I'm scratching my head like, well, I'm, I'm really confused because I know it's New York City and I've never been before that moment. My very first time in New York City with all bets being off. And here we sit in this meatpacking district. There's nothing around. There's nobody in this club. And I'm, I'm assured that everybody's going to be here. So I think these guys are pulling my leg, right? Because that's kind of the space that we're in. And as the night ends up progressing, more and more people from our industry show up. And Vinny, what's your, what's your recollection of that evening? Other than debauchery and all the craziness, well, I mean, we spent 57 grand. I mean, <laughs> one of the things we did, we hung out with the New York Jets who were having a birthday party right on the other booths next to us. And, um, well, I mean, everyone knows I sprayed down uh, a famous rapper with some champagne. Like, we, 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 we were very stupid that night, right? And we, 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 we definitely tore the cover and it was just one of those things where from right the stories that I share, the perspective that I might have given you in the past, right? Here's here's this industry that exists that I knew nothing about. I'm in a city I'd never been to before, that of course never sleeps. We're in this club with these people that I've not really been around. And we're having and admittedly at that moment, that was the best time I'd ever had in my life, right? Like on top of booze an airport. And the guy that was at that party runs me down to take a picture as I'm carrying my car seats and my wife. And he's like living up this, it's the greatest party I was ever at. He walks away. My wife's like, oh, yeah, we're going to have to talk. <laughs> and and what's, what's great, like we were drinking and entertaining people and having a good time. And like, and like Vince shared, right? He ends up cracking over a bottle of champagne. And, you know, it was fun to put your thumb on the top of it and shake it. And granted, these weren't inexpensive bottles of champagne at that moment in time. You can imagine what it takes to spend 57 grand. And so, right, he soaks, uh, Buster Rhymes was a rapper, if I recall the correct way. And right, we, I don't even remember how I got back. To, I, obviously, I didn't drive, but wake up the next morning, we're kind of commiserating together about what went on. And you're sharing, you and Mark are sharing like, man, this is, this is the expense. Because at that point, you guys have paid for it, right? Of course, right? Makes sense. And so, of course, the next night, everybody is licking their wounds, right? Trying to, trying to recover. And there's a whole group of affiliates that I knew that didn't make it out to that party that all wanted to go out night two, right? So I'm like, all right, I'll suck it up. But I had been with these guys that it was 
the only way into a club in New York City when you're showing up from out of town with a male-dominated industry is you have to guarantee a minimum to get to the front door. At least it was back then. Who knows now? It's been been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so I end up taking a group of people to uh, Greenhouse the next night. And it's just me and these affiliates. I'm like, all right, well, I'll take out my credit card. I didn't have corporate credit cards. So I take out my credit card and I'm like, yep, I'm, I'm in. I'll buy it. I'm, I'm good to go. One thing leads to another and it's a 32 or $37,000 night. Grand, I remember it. Yeah. And I get the, I get the bill and right. I'm not keeping tally, but I get it. I'm like, Oh my God. And I'm, I'm, I'm profusely sweating at this point. So I'm texting Vinny and Mark on the, on the way back to the hotel. And it's probably three or four in the morning. They're certainly not getting it. Like I made a mistake. We need to talk. Oh my God, what am I going to do? And wake up and um, we end up having a conversation. So, so graciously you end up helping pay for that evening. It did not, not help it. You, you guys paid for it, right? The company paid for it. But here I am literally like wetting myself that I just charge more of my credit card than number one I'd ever done before. And almost more than I made my first year out of college with one night and one party. And that was the level of excess that became somewhat normal in this industry. Where, as Vinny said earlier, he and Mark had been these trailblazers in every industry they'd been in before. So we didn't have any competition, right? We were, we were the pinnacle. We were, they were, a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand signups a day at our at our peak, if I remember. Yeah, um, actually, when you add in the component of the backside, we got we got up to a little over twenty five hundred signups. And we were, of course, a profitable enterprise at that point. Most certainly, right? It was a, a different time in life, and that we, just set. Definitely had a lot of flow of cash. The funny thing, when we look back, and I wrote about it in our books, profitability was never really even thought about. We were so focused on the flow of incoming cash and market acquisition. And yet, one of the mistakes that I think I've learned, or I don't like the word mistake, one of the things I've learned about business through some poor decisions is that most companies should be a profit-minded first business, not a growth-minded business. And I've learned that. I saw this great interview with Roland Frazier and the founder of LegalZoom. The LegalZoom founder answered a question for Roland that went like this, like, when should a company be focused on growth and profit? And he said, unless you're sufficiently capitalized, meaning you have good cash reserves in your company, you should always be a profit-minded business. The mistake we made at Brainos is we were making cash. We just never thought about the idea. And what took it down was this exact issue. We had cash with this deferred liability and our friends at the IRS and flow of missing affiliates and all the junk. We had tons of cash flowing around, but we never had a margin mindset. And we always lived on this if come, not income. And it was this excess mindset that it was never going to stop. And I think that's the epidemic of kind of the, the very immature entrepreneurs that they're living on next week's paycheck. Yeah, and I think that's a, a profound entry point in some questions that I think you'd have incredible insight into, whereas you're looking at business, I'll say net profitability. Right. And, and this is a, such a broad brush. I'm not setting you up for failure, just more of a, a curiosity. Right. Like what, what is a good net marginalization for a company to look for? Great question, Ryan. It's actually um, a better question. You might even first realize one, you're just not famous, you're a smart guy, but like benchmarking is critical. I can't tell you how many people go, Hey, how am I doing? 
am I doing myself? And how am I doing against people that do what I do in the business marketplace? So this idea of understanding your margin is, and you'll get that, you know, at fullyaccountable.com forward slash freedom. We're going to give you that gift to the people that are listening. You can read about how to actually think about benchmarking and all of our tools on our website free. We'll give you those. But your answer is easy for me. It depends on your industry. Well, let's just pick on some. But, you know, the average profit margin, when you look at all businesses in America, is only 11%. When you look in the digital space, you've got guys that are doing anywhere from 20 to even 50% margins when they're done. If you have a leaner business that's more mastermind, high ticket, you might have a 40 or 50% margin when you're done. But in our digital space, all businesses aside, you know, you could be in the 25 and 30 and 35 point margin range and be in a very expected place. And so each category within a digital component has certain margin places. And so for me, the answer is we should find out the right margin of the industry you're in. So for example, if you were an Amazon company selling a product and you're relying on an Amazon channel, you should probably be about a 30% margin company. And if you're not, then let's discover in the leaky bucket where things are falling off, why you're not. And it gives you a target to go after. Like in the coaching space, like your model, in the coaching space, where there's group coaching and one-on-one, lean office, you know, depending on when certain scale metrics kick in, you should probably be about a 40 to 45% profit margin on yield. And when you're not, why? What are you doing? And most of the time, People are spending so much money trying to acquire a consumer that they're burning the waste on it. And so your question is a great one, right? Businesses need to think more like this. You know, fully accountable needs to target where it sits in its industry and who's, what does it have as its landscape? A supplement company, a coaching company, an Amazon business, a digital agency. You need to have a target for your margin. Otherwise, you know, I used to, at Brados, if we made 5%, I'm thinking, wow, great. How did I know that the industry normal margin was 20 points? Yeah. I'm leaving 15 points on the table of real math that we could have kept at the bottom. I was walking on stage next to our pal Mark, and we were getting an award for marketer of the year, and I said, wouldn't it be funny if this crowd knew that at half our size we were making more money? It's because people don't focus on margin. They focus on revenue. And if you act for a margin-minded person, you have a formula, and I'll add this in our free gifts. We call it the five by five by five formula. If I can save up 5% of my direct expenses, 5% of my indirect expenses, then I only had to add 5% of revenue in order to add 80% growth to my company. Mm-hmm. Well, and that... And that's so so fascinating you say that, right? This is something I have a conversation with some of my right, one-to-one clients and business owners that I have where they themselves over and over again, right? I, I need more, I need more cash, I need more customers, I need more everything else. I say, okay, well, before we get to that, let's pull up all your expenses for the past six months and let's see, right? Is that that's net that's bottom line cash that's coming out of your pocket to pay for whatever these things are, the way I, I view it. And I could be using the wrong terminology, but that's always where we start for me is let's look at and that comes from realizing all the inefficiencies to what I had done prior to right now is like, okay, I was only focused on how do we get the top from right a million a day to 1.3 million a day or whatever the, whatever the arbitrary math and metrics was instead of 
right? Where is uh, I'm glad to know it's 5%, right? But where is that? You're calling the leaky bucket. So I'm going to steal that from now on, right? Where is the leaky bucket on your balance sheet? As far as, you know, where, where's the cash being siphoned off at the bottom? Because that's where as a business owner, right? I love what, uh, I forget the guy's name, uh, profit first, right? Pay yourself first. Yeah. Yeah. And just when I started, when I read that book, everything started to shift, like, Holy mackerel, I'm so worried about making sure everybody else gets paid and that everybody else and whatever's left the CEO takes, whatever's left the business owner takes, instead of putting yourself at the top, right? We have all the all the risks, we have all the liability, we have we have all the headaches. And so yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that if you adhere to that or not, but I'm, I'm really curious about your stance on that. Yeah, so I think if like a couple walk away items, I always like to make sure someone has their own thing to do and not just hear me say we can do it. Here's what I would do. If I'm a positioned whether I resonate with CEO or entrepreneur or solopreneur, whatever word you're using, where you're at in your journey for whoever in your audience is listening, here's where I would say, I would start with doing a, a little research, go to this thing called the Google and find out generally what is an accepted kind of profit margin in your industry. You can find out pretty quickly. It's not a hard thing to find out. What I would do from there is I would take my, this thing called the profit and loss statement and I would have that thing be my guardian to the leaky bucket. I want to know that if, if I run a, a products business and my labor costs should be 7% and they're 15%, well, now I know where 8% of my waste is. So when a company, it's a service company, if you're a 50% on labor, then you know where your yields are. So when we're closer to 45, we're more profitable, we're closer to 55 or less, but that also tells things on service component. Like these things are the guardian. And so for products businesses, I look at cost of goods, how much the media acquisition costs are, each of those have a range. And if I can just have little insights to each of those, I will find my five or seven points which changes the world for everybody. If I could, if you could double your profit margin, that's why I like Mike profit first. It gets you thinking that way. Now the real tools to get to the next part isn't about necessarily just paying yourself first. I don't hate the idea, but there needs to be something actionable to double your margin. I would encourage people to look at their leaky bucket. First know what their leaky bucket is. And then from there, actually develop a plan to how to attack each piece of those little leaky buckets, that's how you're going to double your margin. And that's how you're going to work to put a reserve in place. And that's how you're going to work to start paying yourself. And that's actually how you're going to win if this game is 82% of companies close because of lack of cash flow. Well, and Vinny, when you say that, what when you look at having cash reserves, right, before you get into the growth, growth mindset of really pushing that throttle down and going after new client acquisition, in order for a healthy, thriving business, what would you look to see right, operating cash in reserve before they start really going after aggressive acquisition? I think, I think it's an epidemic that I suffered from that a lot of us do is I think you, you, it can start to be math. I think Dave Ramsey and some of these other financial guys have it right. Like how much do you have in the bank? So if you break the furnace in the company that you can afford to fix the furnace. So at a minimum, some kind of, month, two, three operating expenses sitting there would be great. I actually think once you actually have some basic things like that in place, and I know that's a big deal, right? Because the average 65-year-old in America doesn't even have five grand in the bank. So I'm not sitting here saying, like, get a month, two, three, six of operating expenses sitting in your company. That would be amazing. 
along the way, the maturity of knowing how much you can afford to spend to acquire growth. There are some real metrics out there that say, of all my capitalization, if I'm ever deploying more than 25% of my cap, my marginal cap in growth, then I'm overextending. Big companies are classic to study. And when you were younger, barely out of the egg, classic um, a breakup was a company called Enron. Exploded. What they were doing was spending too much of their deploy. They were deploying too much of their capital. So they ran out of cash. So they had to start doing things like lying on their balance sheet and manipulating the numbers in order to keep that Ponzi scheme going longer. Had they kept a basic principle of only deploying 25% of their capital into growth, they probably never would have had that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I even look at right, one of the things that was a shift in perspective for me, certainly on a cash flow basis, knowing right the 25% or, or what your cost of acquisition is, what I'll call on first turn, really looks like. But the game changer for me personally has been starting to evaluate this as a lifetime customer value and some more meaningful metrics that aren't so short term right, where I might be okay to go a little into not even necessarily an aggressive state, state of mind, right, but it, I might spend 30% on cash, but I know on month two, on a, on a second billing, right, now all of a sudden, the math catches up, right, where I drop from 30% down to 17% based off of strategic growth and consistency. Depending on where the life cycle of the business is, I think you go through seasons. I do think ultimately the coup de grace is lifetime value. But I think in order to get there, you have to absolutely be focused in on average order value. Because if you aren't, I don't know if you're ever going to run long enough to make LTV matter. And so my first bit of advice is 85% of companies don't even see their fifth anniversary. But more exciting than that, only 6% of companies make it to their 10th anniversary. Now, what's exciting about that is if you can make it to year five, you have a stupid great chance of making it to year 10. So from zero to year five, LTV is a tough thing because you're trying to establish a trend line for LTV. You don't know how long you're going to be around. So I would encourage, depending on where you are in the cycle, you need that average order value, whether it's a initial acquisition, reacquisition, your rebuild rate. I, I think you have to be focused in on the average ticket of what you bring in because that's what's going to indicate whether or not you're spending too much. And then along the way, you're going to have enough cash uh, flow and possibly cash waste restraint in place where the real metric of LTV has to start taking over at some point. And that becomes a good thing to say, you know, in our hosting company, you know, if you remember, we knew the magic number was 125 bucks. Mm-hmm. We were willing to blow over it. We never had a real correlation as to why, because we, we never figured out LTV. But we blew the average order value because we, we went right past the number we knew because we were hoping we would get another turn out of that. What a dangerous way to grow a business. Well, history will say that was not a very good idea. It was not our best thoughts there. Our best thoughts. But as, as, we, as you share that, right, I'd like to pour in and, and get your perspective on this as well. Right. We're talking financial operating of a business. I think there's a second tier level of, um, let's say, freakish accountability that I would encourage you to, to consider. And that's, right. what is the value of an email on your email list? What is the value of a subscriber on your many chat list? What, to know more of 
right? Client acquisition is great, but what are the underlying metrics going to client acquisition? Because on my standpoint, right, without knowing those, it does become difficult to realize where to invest and where not to. Yeah, I think it depends on your business model, but like, you know, we know that like things like, well, you're right. You got to look at what your assets are. You know, we know, you know, we over and over when we have clients, we, say, well, we have a, you know, our emails are worth $2 an email or we'll hear these metrics or a lead costs us this, or we can turn a lead into profit after this many days. The more granular you can get, to me, I think you start with, and what will be in our free gifts for everybody is what we would recommend are your five kind of core KPIs. If you've got the napkin, so what I'm practicing now is helping someone have a, enough financial fluency because the language in business is finance. And if the people who are running it at the top don't have a basic level of financial fluency, and the way to indicate that is are these five metrics that are important to your business kind of top of mind? If you don't know life cycle of your customer, if you don't know the average order value, if you don't know your profit margin, if you don't know your gross profit margin or your contribution margin, if you can't kind of generally know these things off top of head, then you probably are not doing enough cocktail math that you lack some financial fluency. You're probably going to keep repeating cycles of, of, of destructive behavior, running a business up and breaking it, running a business up and breaking it. And I would say that each person listening needs to acquire enough financial fluency to win at the language that business operates in is finance. And gosh, at that younger age of you, I would have loved to have known that. And now I'm just trying out there to say, go get some financial fluency. Because the more you get, the better you'll be at the real game. And the real game is business, not just acquiring a customer. Real game is that kind of longevity of that business model being valuable in your hands and someone else's hands. If it's just a cash grab, then don't lie to yourself. Just say what it is, run that kind of business, and just know that you have that. If you're trying to actually build something and you live in this massive friction and you have no fluency, well, then the most loving thing I can tell you is go get some. Yeah, and I, I love that, Vinny. I love, right, you, you did something in the hosting world that has stuck with me. The only time I didn't do it is when I was the least successful I've ever been in my life and lost everything. And that was having those morning reports come across, right? We call it back and napkin math, right? They don't have to be exact. They're not to the penny necessarily, but it's right. It's payables. It's receivables. It's it's new client acquisitions. It's a, it's a KPIs that are just granular enough to be like, wow, did I, did I take a massive left turn overnight that I just somehow missed? And that was... That's, that's the core to our, like, we do the work. You know, when you have... You have and in that case, what I had 20 merchant accounts and all this crazy stuff. And this why we went, I mean, classically, you know, we went a week without finding out that we were missing a hundred grand. How arrogant does someone have to be in running their business that you would watch a hundred grand? Like, you don't even watch it. it, it's missing, and the bank has to call you and say, Hey, oh, by the way, that morning reports is the backbone of some of the things we do for clients and ourselves. Like those things are, and the more transactions you have, the more you need to be, it's a daily activity. The less transactions, maybe it can be a weekly activity. The amount of transactions determines the amount of frequency. Well, and, and, and Vinny, those are all things that come along with potential service packages that you offer from Fully Accountable, right? Like this is, if, if you're hearing this and you're listening, you're like, man, I don't even know where to start with that. I don't have the piece and parts set up or it's too expensive or I don't understand how to use QuickBooks or whatever the story you're telling yourself, I'm going to encourage you to reach out to Vinny and well, not specifically him more than likely, but someone on the team 
Well, right. What we'll have for you is like as part of our gifts is someone can absolutely because of 15 minutes of freedom, they can have a free consultation with us. We we don't we don't want to work with everybody. We want to work with the people that need us to work with them and are the right fits to work with them. We want each we want everyone to be financially fluent. We want everyone to be doing the basic things they need to be doing. So take advantage of that free consultation. You'll find out a lot about your business. You would be absolutely foolish not to do that and based off of You've heard my story now over the past two or three years, however long I've been doing this. Vinny and the lessons I've learned from him, through him, can now mirror in what he's doing. To have access to his team, whether it's for 15 minutes or 30 minutes, or it doesn't even matter the time, but the download that you can get, knowing, knowing him and the sincerity that he offers and that it is part of the corporate culture, make the phone call. Make the phone call if you're even thinking about starting a business. like that. You just need... I'll say this another way. Had I just opened my ears and shut my mouth and listened to Vinny eight years ago, the amount of zeros in my bank account would have a couple more ones in front of them. my decimal place would be in a slightly different alignment than they are now. So take, take advantage of that offer. So Vinny, if, if you were going to leave everybody listening with that one impactful lesson, that one takeaway, that one thing that you know, every small business entrepreneur, solopreneur should really really have in the back of their mind, what would that be? You know, I, I, I tell you, I really wish that I would have paid attention to things early on, like the unique value proposition of your company. Like what problem are you really solving for somebody? And so then once I dial into the value of what I offer to somebody, at that point, acquisition becomes a little easier. Retention is really the key retaining your client. I was so good at direct response. Getting a customer was the thing I was so focused on. Keeping one, man, that was not in my playbook. And in order to actually do those types of things, you have to be a little more business fluent, not so marketing tactical. So much of us are so marketing and business sales tactical. We'll go to any event that gives us a hack how to make our inbox better or another close on a phone call. But what if we can take some of that time and invested into a little bit of our business financial fluency, I will tell you that if we can have a little more relationship to the bottom line that we already have to the top, you will see a massive increase in your business. Vinny, I love that. I love our time together. I love reconnecting with you and, and having you share so much wisdom with everybody that's tuned in. My friend, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yeah.